understanding, and breaking free from captivity and strongholds. Know the enemy and just walk out of his traps. Part 2 Heavenly Father, God of my Lord Jesus Christ, I praise you and thank you for your revelation knowledge in this teaching. I thank you that this word falls upon the fertile soil of the heart of this child seeking to remember you, that this seed cannot and will not be snatched up, choked up, or fall by the wayside, that the spirit, soul, and body of this child has been prepared and predestined before time for what they are about to hear because of your great love for this child that they will not only be hearers of this word, but doers. I praise you, Lord, that there is no distractions as they listen. I speak in authority by the authority given to me by my spirit being seated in high places in Christ Jesus at the right hand of the Father, with all things being under our feet. And because I have power over all the works of the enemy, Every devil, demon, principality, and power of the air, land, and water seeking to afflict this child must flee. May this child always recognize that the weapons of their warfare are not carnal, but mighty to the bringing down of strongholds, that they do not wrestle against flesh and blood ever. Open their eyes to the cunning of our enemy, the devil, who makes it look like those they should be loving are their enemies. May every trap set by the enemy be viewed as a platform for growth and victory. Let there be total peace and focus as your child listens to this word, breathes it into their soul and spirit, quickening their mortal bodies and are equipped to fight and freed from all strongholds and regions of captivity. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So, you made it to part two. Glory be to God for you. You must have gained something from this journey thus far. So, let's pick up where we left off and see if we can get some more encouragement currency for the rest of the journey. Previously, we identified our adversary Hillel, Hebrew for morning star or Lucifer. Latin for Lightbringer, Satan, the Great Dragon, Serpent of Old, the Father of Lies, and Father of all the Children of Pride. His evil spiritual forces are constantly targeting us, and to those who are unaware, it appears to be just carnal attacks. They harass, seeking to wear us down like nipping hyenas at lions, usurping what God has prepared for those who love Him and are called according to His plans. Have you ever seen lions and hyenas in nature shows? Lions hate hyenas. Hyenas, being the thieving scavengers that they are, will rob lions at every opportunity. If a hyena clan comes upon a lone lion, they will try to gang up on it, kill, and destroy it. As a result, lions will always hunt in pairs or groups whenever possible. Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, sent his followers out in pairs that no matter how the enemy tried to gang up on them, they could encourage, keep each other accountable, and have each other's backs. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9-12 Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe 
to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. As a result, fellowship is crucial to our spiritual growth and perseverance against the devil's schemes. The enemy understands that if he can convince you to choose isolation for whatever reason, you will be easy to destroy. The enemy's trap to lure us and keep us isolated while he lies to us until we are destroyed can be subtle. I was, however, blessed with an encounter with one of my children choosing to lie to me. The Lord used this opportunity to expose the devil by providing me a depiction of his scheme. I didn't realize this child had lied until I decided to contact my wife for the truth. My child then attempted to prevent me from contacting my wife and instead confessed. As earlier stated, the Lord revealed to me that he allowed this encounter with my child to occur in order to demonstrate to me how the enemy has been lying to me about other situations I've been struggling with and honestly feeling very anxious about. Because I've sometimes chosen seclusion, the enemy will take the opportunity to lie to me using my very thoughts and feelings against me. However, as soon as I take steps away from my cloudy thoughts and sought wise counsel from a reliable source, just like my child, he has often attempted to hinder me and his deceptions were exposed. The enemy does not want us to confess our sins to one another as James 5 verse 16 advises. He does not want us to seek guidance from God-loving neutral parties. After all this, I was able to discern the situation for what it was, and I was even able to properly minister to my child, and we prayed for deliverance together. To be honest, I was really upset with my child, for honesty is critical in a world full of lies. I now realize, though, that how we approach these moments as parents may make or break our children's early relationships with God. My desire is for my child to not be afraid to be honest with me, but to know that there is liberty in honesty. God is such a wonderful teacher. He had our child have a similar experience at school the same day with a close friend behaving dishonest and our child feeling saddened by the betrayal. Much like me, the experience at school happened before we got to talk about the morning's incident. God gave us both the ability to empathize with one another, forgive one another, and seek God together in prayer. All of this was allowed by God to reveal the enemy's trap and bring incredible growth to myself, my child, and I pray multitudes by the word of this testimony. Fellowship and accountability are so essential to our walk with God. Thanks to my incredible blessing and lioness of a wife, my cousin, who is an amazing accountability partner, being part of a weekly men's fellowship that has really helped to sharpen me, Bible study with my father and siblings, and a 15-day prayer challenge with Real Anointed Word Movement, I have come to know the value of fellowship and unity of Jesus' lion tribe. 
The prayer challenge has become continuous for me and has helped and encouraged me immensely. If you seek a fellowship, I would love to welcome you to visit the link provided and come join the 15-day prayer challenge. You will love this community and find that you do not have to be alone. These are all real people with real struggles, but facing them together with scripture, encouragement through testimonies, obedience, dying to self, most of all, prayer, and the hyenas of the devil, they scatter daily. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Revelation 12, verse 11. Last blog, we also covered being properly equipped for conflicts and traps set by our enemy, Hillel, and his servants. Expect traps always, but do not fear them. Traps are opportunities for growth if you dare to see and accept them as such. To be well equipped for these spiritual conflicts, we must put on the armor of God and understand its function. We must remember that we are never ever battling against flesh and blood, at least not yet. There will come a time when our spiritual opponents shall roam about in corporeal forms, just as they did in Genesis 6. Regardless, Whatever form our adversaries take, we will be able to put them to flight if we can learn to live from the place of power and authority that Jesus gave to his disciples and the promises we have in Christ. Luke 10, verse 17 to 20. Then the seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. The power and authority we have been given is a tremendous benefit to our relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. To rejoice that our faith in Jesus has secured a place for us in heaven. I know that studying and understanding Scripture and its spiritual implications has sharpened my ability to hear God's voice and strengthened my intimacy with Him. My prayer for this generation is that it would humble itself, seek the Lord, reject the watered-down religious entrapment teachings of corporation churches and return to the original mission of a disciple of Jesus. Mark 16, verse 15 to 18. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. The Holy Spirit is wisdom. To thrive and fulfill the mandate of Mark 16, verse 15 to 18, in these last days, we need wisdom as Jesus' disciples. 
Proverbs 4 verse 7 informs us that wisdom is the principal thing. In verse 6, we are told to love her and that she will keep us. At this point in my life, I've asked the Holy Spirit, like Solomon, to give me wisdom above all else. I once had a dream, and as I woke from the dream, I could hear a voice crying out three times the rest of Proverbs 4 verse 7. Get wisdom, and in all you're getting, get understanding. It was said to me three times as I left the spirit realm. Therefore, I desire, as in verse 6 of Proverbs 4, to love and be wed to wisdom and her sister's knowledge and understanding. This has been my constant surrender to God, as I know He will lead me to obtain what I have asked. There are multitudes who need to be set free from wrong teaching and thinking. Those of us who have heard the call and have been chosen have a responsibility to do our part, even if it means persecution and death. I now desire more than anything what Paul desired for the true church in Ephesians 1 verse 17 to 21. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Ephesians 1 Verse 17 to 21. So let's walk out of these traps. Hopefully, you listened to or read the previous teaching because what follows will make more sense if you have. Also, I hope you have your armor on, for this is warfare. Jesus said to the Pharisees in John 10, verse 34, Jesus answered them, Is it not written, in your law, I said, you are gods? In doing further research, I discovered that Jesus was quoting Psalms 82 verse 6. But when I read Psalms 82, I discovered that God, just as he was in Ezekiel 28 verse 1 to 19 and John 10 verse 34, is not talking to mankind but watchers. Angels who were supposed to be watching over humanity post-fall in the garden instead rebelled against God and further corrupted humanity. Before we go to Psalms 82, give attention to these scriptures. Genesis 6 verse 1 to 4 Now it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wise for themselves all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh. Yet his days shall be one hundred and twenty years. 
There were giants on the earth and in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Jude 1 verse 6-7 Amplified And angels, who did not keep their own designated place of power, but abandoned their proper dwelling place, these he has kept in eternal chains under the thick gloom of utter darkness for the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the adjacent cities, since they in the same way as these angels indulge in gross immoral freedom and unnatural vice and sensual perversity, they are exhibited in plain sight as an example in undergoing the punishment of everlasting fire. And now, in Psalms 82, David prophecy of God's decree to the watchers fallen angels. Psalm 82 verses 1 to 8. God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Selah, defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Free them from the hand of the wicked. They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are unstable. I said, you are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. And in verse 8, David cries out, Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all nations. So, in John 10, verse 34, Jesus speaks directly to the evil spirits, bypassing the religious leaders. This was not always the case, but in this scenario, based on scripture verification to Psalms 82, he did. He spoke to those fallen watchers who left their habitation to corrupt humanity and defiled the human gene pool to prevent his coming. Hillel and his angels were unable to prevent Jesus from coming and rescuing us, but their goal of corrupting mankind has not changed. It grieves God that his children, created in his image and likeness, choose damnation over salvation, so Hillel and his angels get to drag as many humans as possible into eternal torment with him especially those evil humans who have been misled into believing that Hillel is the rightful God and that they must serve him. Note, as mentioned in the last post, God often will lead me with numbers. I still don't fully understand it, but I've surrendered to the Holy Spirit, so I know he will guide me into all truths in due time. Anyone else notice that man was created on the sixth day? In Genesis 3 verse 6, man chooses carnality, disobedience, and independence, separating him from God by gaining sin and death and ushering in the spirit of the Antichrist. Genesis 6 is then the first attempt to create the corporeal form of the Antichrist through the seed of the woman, 
Remember that angels, like God, are spiritual creatures but capable of taking on physical bodies as seen throughout the Bible. These angels did so to insert their spiritual seed into women in order to produce Nephilim to rule in place of man. However, the flood destroyed these hybrids' physical bodies, and some of their angelic parents were imprisoned, as stated in Jude 1, verse 6 to 7. The Nephilim then became what we know as demons because their spiritual nature from their angelic ancestry kept them between the realms. The sixth day, verse 6 of Genesis 3 and Genesis 6, are three sixes listed showing you what Revelation 13, verse 18 confirms that the Bible is a treasure map, or puzzle, begging to be solved. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. Revelation 13, verse 18. Also, pay attention to this. Think it a coincidence, not that I believe in coincidences, that the number of the beast, a man being 666, which added together equals 18, is in the 18th chapter of Revelation 13? I don't think so. The number 13 here, though, does not represent luck or unlucky. As a believer, I do not believe in luck. Luck is a pagan belief system. 13 has two meanings, and the first is love and unity. The opposite meaning, which is very suitable for this chapter, is hate, apathy, indifference, and fear. Everything God does is purposeful, but it is we who are to seek to gain wisdom, knowledge, understanding, so we can grow. No one ever appreciates anything just handed to them. Proverbs 25 verse 2 It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. My research for the Hebrew numbers may be found in the links provided. While the Antichrist spirit is already among us, his physical form will appear if not already here, in the same manner as it did in Genesis 6. Is it a coincidence that what happens in the first six chapters of the first book of the Bible parallels what happens in the last? Many people do not believe, yet God's word is truth and purposeful. That is why according to the scripture, the number of the being who will appear in this way will be 666. I'm sure there are many other correlations to this throughout scripture. During the process of writing this blog, I took a break to fold some laundry and listen to the book of Job. I've listened to or read this book many times before, but as my understanding of what the Lord is saying has matured, I've become fascinated by the story and all the characters. The first thing the Holy Spirit drew my attention to, given that this blog is about understanding our enemy and escaping his traps, is what Hillel, or Satan, says to the Almighty and how it is very similar to what God says about Satan in Ezekiel 28 verse 14, and what Hillel, Satan, answers God in Job 1 verse 6 to 7. God says in Ezekiel 28 verse 14, You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. 
you walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. Now pay attention to Job 1 verses 6 to 7 and see if you can find any parallels to Ezekiel 28 verse 14. Job 1 verses 6 to 7. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? Here is the puzzle piece. So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it? Satan is the same cherub, Hallel, who walked to and fro before God in stones of fire and walks to and fro on the earth. There is a reason God has us see this similarity. He wants us to realize that the cherub he kicked out is the same one that hunts us like an outcast roaring lion, walking to and fro, seeking whom he may devour. That's 1 Peter 5 verse 8. He is the same one who came before God in the Garden of Eden, accusing Adam and his wife to have these seemingly lesser beings who were yet in the Almighty's image and likeness tried and showed their worth, not to God, but to him, Hillel, just as he would have Job prove his worth, not to God, but to him. So, God allowed him to tempt our forefather and mother. God had allowed a trap to be set for Adam and his wife for their faith to be tested. For without fear, reverence of God, they had no wisdom. They had no patience. They were incomplete. If they had not fallen for Hillel's wiles and shown perfect love in their obedience to God, they would not have ended this trial in fear. We need to recognize with all certainty that Hillel has never changed, nor have his tricks. We need to recognize he is always accusing us to God, for he is the accuser of the brethren. That is why we must watch our tongues. We must be vigilant to not speak with tongues of death, of the serpent, as that is the spiritual speech of Satan. When Satan accuses us, he accuses us using God's word, which he knows better than we do. But he alters it to accuse us and even God himself. See what he says about us and God in Job 4, verses 12 to 21, through the mouth of Eliphaz, one of Job's miserable comforters, as Job called them. Now a word was secretly brought to me, and my ear received a whisper of it. In disquieting thoughts from the vision of the night, when deep sleep falls on men, fear came upon me and trembling, which made all my bones shake. Then a spirit passed before my face. The hair on my body stood up. It stood still, but I could not discern its appearance. A form was before my eyes. There was silence. Then I heard a voice saying, Can, Can a mortal be more righteous than God? Can a man be more pure than his maker? If he puts no trust in his servants, if he charges his angels with error, how much more those who dwell in houses of clay, whose foundation is in the dust, who are crushed before a moth. They are broken in pieces from morning till evening. They perish forever with no one regarding. Does not their own excellence go away? They die even without wisdom. Job 4 Verse 12 to 21. 
That is why we must be careful to not use God's word to accuse one another. For the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It can be used to attack or defend. Who are you attacking with the sword? Is the weapon of your warfare carnal or spiritual? Who are you defending with the sword in the face of a seemingly carnal battle when your thoughts and emotions, as well as the burning heat in your heart, tell you to fight this enemy before you? Is the defense with the sword just for ourselves or for our brethren also who may not be aware of what spirit they are of? In these moments, our brethren are in the greatest need of defense, not accusation from us with the sword. For we in these moments prove if we agree with our Lord of truth or the Lord of lies. In Job 1, Hillel, Satan, our accuser goes with the other sons of God, most likely the other fallen angels, as stated in Psalm 82. Angels loyal or fallen are known as sons of God and servants of God. When your perspective is spiritual and you see from high places in Christ Jesus, you see that our enemies have never stopped serving God. Those are facts. That's why we are to serve the Creator, not created servants. Hallel Satan, coming with the sons of God to present themselves, most likely are the fallen watchers. You know, knowing that the angels are referred to as sons of God gives a whole new meaning to the story of the prodigal son as told in Luke 15, verse 11 to 32. Through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, I am coming to be much more open to the spiritual significance of Scripture, being able to hear God's voice through His Word and see the Scriptures for His perspective. This parable Jesus shared transcends the carnal narrative of a father, two sons, and how we are like them. In the parable of the prodigal son, I once only saw a wayward son who returns home in repentance with the heart of a servant and is received by his father's redemptive love once more and made an heir. This parable representing us children of God who have chosen to repent, be saved, and made joint heirs with Christ. While the eldest brother who believed he was never in the wrong yet had no relationship with his father, is spiteful of his father and his younger brother's relationship and similarities. This representing those of the religious-minded and blinded to their plight of being hard of hearts, not willing to come into the celebration of God's redemption through Jesus, but instead stand outside in the darkness, unwilling to come into the feast. But when we take this parable back to the Garden of Eden, as stated in Ezekiel 28, we see a first son, Hillel, who because of his beauty, self-indulgence, majesty, position as light-bearer, accuser of God and humanity, has no true relationship with the God who created him, but religious-minded to his duty to the point of pride and blasphemy. Then there's the son created in God's image and likeness, who is wide-eyed and bushy-tailed about all his father has made and told him to rule over. He has the best relationship with his Abba and walks with him daily. He is also excited to explore, learn, and experience his new world. He is allowed to do what his elder brother, an eternal being of spirituality, cannot. Adam has a mate, can reproduce, and create after his kind. He is every bit like his father, but without being truly tried, he does still lack. Then his elder brother, Hillel, comes to their father with iniquity in his heart, 
accusing the younger brother much as the elder brother in the parable of the prodigal son did. He did not comprehend that God seeks a relationship rather than religion. I wonder if the elder brother in the parable ever surrendered and accepted the reality of the situation his father presented to him, that everything his father has was his, and that he should rejoice because of his brother's new life. Or did he go the path of Hillel and sought to accuse his brother every chance he got? Food for thought. I believe this is where the enemy twisted scripture to the woman and altering mankind's destiny in Genesis 3 verse 4. This most likely was after God himself said to Hillel, Have you considered my servant Adam, that there is none like him on the earth? Much as God said in Job 1 verse 8 to Hillel when he came with the other angels before God's throne. I imagine Hillel's accusations were that Adam and his wife did not truly love God that they did not have fear of God, and given the chance, they would curse him to his face. This conversation was a little like Job 1. The key point here, though, is that Adam and his wife, unlike Job, did not have fear of God. For as stated in Proverbs 1 verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And Proverbs 9 verse 10 the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I believe that God would have taught Adam wisdom not through fear, but love. By God's perfect timing and through their obedience, He would have allowed them to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil eventually. Pre-fall, Adam did not lack any good thing. He and the woman were always as God was. But newborns, learning and growing by abiding in their father's love and by being obedient, just as we ought to be. 1 John 4, verses 17 to 19. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. Therefore, Hillel filled with iniquity and lacking perfect love himself, accusations would have been that they lacked knowledge and wisdom. This in turn was the twisting of the truth to the woman in Genesis 3 verse 4, that she yet lacked and was not like God, yet. Genesis 3 verses 4 to 5 Then the serpent said to the woman, You, you will, will not surely die, for God, God knows that in the day you eat of it, your, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. How crafty, to poison her with fear that she was not like God that through the twisting of the truth, which would lead to her disobedience, she could be like him. Instead of wisdom, what the woman and her husband obtained was deception in the guise of wisdom. They gained the ability to judge what was right in their own eyes, rather than by the father's standards, which led them out of freedom and into slavery to a lesser father, the father of lies. Therefore. 
We must be careful not to utilize Scripture as a weapon against one another, to twist it for our own aim and in turn cause someone to fall. This is what the enemy does. Due to his bitterness of heart as the elder brother of the prodigal son parable, he accuses us before our father, and our father, desiring that we be made perfect, allows the accusation and trial because of the fallen state we are presently in. God allows the traps to be set like booby traps in our souls to turn our souls from the pit. The enemy knows this is God's agenda, but because he is the father of the children of pride, he believes we will fail God by his hands, that it will be proven to God that we are his greatest works of failure, that now that we are in deplorable states, we will not seek to remember God's face, but instead curse him to his face. What Hillel did to the woman in the Garden of Eden, he is still doing to many of us today, especially because many do not know who and whose they are. The Holy Spirit had me add this disclaimer. If you are struggling in life or in your faith in Christ, the next couple of phrases will be difficult to read or hear. These phrases are not the truth. This is not what God nor I believe about you. No matter what those evil people and spirits have said or still say, if you can make it to the end of where all of this is headed, you will gain greater insight. My prayer and diligence in why I do this is that you be delivered, that all Hillel's captives be set free. Okay, here we go. Hillel, the devil tells you that you are weak and unworthy that you will never meet God's standards. He screams at you, digging his vile claws into your soul that you are dirty, nasty, used up, tore up, old and tired trash, disgusting, hateful, a sinful vessel of dishonor because of the multitude of your sins, and your ledger can never be made clean. Who could ever want you? Who needs you? What a disappointment you are. You are so useless. Life would be better without you. The list goes on with much more cruel things you've heard, and I'm not willing to write or speak them. I'm sure you have agreed with these things, and they shattered your heart and soul, splintering you into countless little pieces, even more so that you betrayed yourself by agreeing with them. My God, some of you have known it since you were conceived. That even while God was forming you in the womb, those who should have preserved you were corrupting you. Before you start blaming God for not protecting you, realize that we all have free will, as did your parents. To be honest, they didn't know any better. And choosing to forgive them is one step of getting out of the enemy's traps. I advise that you listen to the post, Remember. If you haven't already, you may gain some perspective on this. I'm sure you've heard this before. Unforgiveness is poison, not for those you are unwilling to forgive, but for yourself. I'm sure there are those of you reading or listening who have doubted yourself and heard from religious leaders that you are not worthy to minister the gospel of Jesus because of your past, or you didn't go to theology school. You have been abused by religious leaders in the same way that the woman who poured an expensive flask of ointment on Jesus' head 
and wiped his feet with her hair and tears was. However, this woman, who was despised by religious leaders and even Jesus' misguided disciples at the time, was given great honors by Jesus in each of the four Gospels. Matthew 26, verse 16 to 13. Mark 14, verse 3 to 9. Luke 7, verse 36 to 50. And John 12, verse 1 to 8. Or another instance some can relate to. John 8, verse 1 to 11. The woman caught in adultery on the verge of being stoned to death by people who were most likely guilty of the same sins. If you didn't know, the word of God not used to edify, encourage, and bring correction can be stones. Another situation, the man who was possessed by demons and was an outcast in his entire town. They had bound him with chains and shackles, and in rage he would tear the chains apart. I imagine that being abandoned by those he knew and loved tore his soul apart, and those demons relished it. As reported in Mark 5 verse 21 and Luke 8 verse 26 to 40, he was forced to dwell in tombs among the dead. Or how about our favorite, Peter, who like Judas betrayed Jesus not once but three times, even with curses. As recorded in Matthew 26 verse 33 to 35, Mark 14 verse 29 to 31, Luke 22 verse 33 to 34, and John 18, verse 15 to 17. In doing so, Peter should have inherited a one-way ticket to damnation, according to Matthew 10, verse 33, as said by Jesus. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father, who is in heaven. But those of us who are familiar with the story know that Peter was completely forgiven and raised up by Jesus. Amazingly, Following Jesus' resurrection, Jesus even made Peter breakfast, despite Peter's determination to return to work, believing Jesus was dead, rather than going to make disciples for Jesus, as wonderfully shown in John 21, verse 1 to 19. Peter was later filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts 2 and was able to minister better than any academically trained theologian, bringing multitudes to salvation in Jesus' name. I advise you to read each one of these scriptural accounts listed in this section to get to know the magnitude of God's deliverance and love for us through Jesus. These very scriptures are our stories as well. I even made it easy. Simply click on the highlighted text and it will take you to the specific scripture. I've just mentioned a few of the condemnations I'm sure you've heard and agreed with about yourself since I too have heard and agreed with similar things about myself. I now rebuke them. I rebuke them for you, for me, and for everyone else who has yet to hear this. And I pray they will. Hillel, the devil, was and still is a liar. You believe the things you hear are coming from you or from people living in darkness, but that is just part of the story. You've been hearing these things for so long that you've come to believe them. And these people seem to be more real than the father of lies, his angels, and demons instigating everything from the spiritual realm. However, just agreeing with something does not make it true. You have sinned. You have probably done some terrible things. Sure, 
people have committed sins against you. You were born into a horrible environment or were led into a horrible one. But that doesn't mean you have to stay there. That mindset is a trap designed by Hillel and his agents who have been assigned to your life through sin, most likely before you were born, and may have even come through your bloodline like a virus clinging to yourselves. See the other post for As He Thinks for clarification, which illustrates how viruses and demons are similar. However, your starting point in this race called life or current location does not have to be your end. God says in Hosea 4 verse 6 that his people suffer from lack of knowledge. Fortunately, he has picked up vessels of dishonor like me and made us clean by the blood of Jesus to say this to you. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. 2 Timothy 2 verse 20 to 22. The blood of Jesus transforms us from vessels of dishonor to vessels of honor by cleansing us from all the multitudes of our sins and all the dreadful, unfortunate things you read or had to hear me speak are washed away by choosing Him as your Lord and Savior. Isaiah 9 verse 6, Jesus is wonderful at healing every broken part, every fractured heart, catching every tear, soothing every fear. He is counselor to the lost disoriented, double-minded, abused, misused, confused. He is mighty God of all creation, that He knew you before you were in the womb, and you loved Him, and He loved you, and has never stopped. He is everlasting Father to the fatherless, those betrayed by fathers, neglected by fathers. He is Prince of Peace, for when you need it the most, and I believe that is even right now, that if you simply choose to call on His name, Jesus, He will save you. In every one of those previous scriptures where people were facing condemnations for their sins by people and devils alike, Jesus, God in flesh, showed them compassion so amazing that it completely changed their lives. You. Yes, you are his beloved, and nothing can separate you from his love. Not even such a cruel death as death on the cross. Not sin, not the grave. God no longer must repent because of us. But instead, as in Psalms 37 verse 7, he preserves and sings songs of deliverance over you. That the holy blood of Jesus spilled covers all your sins if you choose to be obedient and surrender your strengths and weaknesses. For his joy is made perfect in your weaknesses, and even what seems like strength. I declare over my life and yours that you are a vessel of honor because of the blood of Jesus. Receive his gift. The blood is the only ransom that could wash away our sins. 
Only God's blood was able to rescue you and me from sin and death. Every circumstance we now face as a result of our past works to polish us and make us better vessels each and every day. Jesus did not only die so that we could go to heaven. He bore all our sins, past, present, and future. So our current situations are not our final destinations, but rather opportunities for growth and elevation. We must honor His sacrifice by becoming living sacrifices and allowing our mistakes to shape us into great people. We have no strength without the sacrifice of Jesus, for only by dependency on His blood do we have wisdom, courage, and strength to walk out of any trap. But even when we are ensnared by the traps Hillel sets and all seems dark, we are still willing to light a lamp of faith and do as Job did in Job 1 verse 20. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. Job 1 verse 20. How many of us can do what Job did? Even knowing now that even more than Job was, we are innocent, having been made righteous when once we surely were not. But for the blood of Jesus, to be able to still worship when we have fallen into the trap of the enemy, and God's hand is upon us to strengthen us, even though it looks and feels like suffering. How many of us will still worship? Are you willing to still worship? I'm astounded at what Job then says next in verses 21 and 22. And I seek that this be my worship and yours whenever calamity befall us. For through the road marked with suffering, we are weighed and found wanting. But for the blood of Jesus. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this, Job, did not sin nor charge God with wrong. Job 1, verse 21 to 22. Some time ago, I had an argument with another brother in Christ. During this argument, I felt attacked and hurt by what I was hearing. But instead of seeing what was happening as a trial, allowing patience to do its perfect work in me, and truly seeking to hear what this brother was saying to me, I became prideful, arrogant, and went on the attack, even using the Word of God as a weapon of warfare against this brother. The argument eventually ended with me walking away saying that the argument was petty. Later, when I thought on the argument, I realized that. I do not wrestle with flesh and blood, and that this was spiritual. However, I refuse to identify with any of it, as well as accept that I was in any way wrong, that he, my brother, was out of line. That was not how the Lord felt about it. The Holy Spirit said to me, Something is wrong, Prince. Your heart is wrong. Fortunately, I'm on the prayer line I mentioned like, 45 minutes ago. So when we got to the part when we are encouraged to ask for prayer or give a testimony, the Holy Spirit nudged me and said, 
Ask them to pray for you concerning pride and arrogance. I hesitated, but knew he was right. So that is what I did. After doing so, I realized that being obedient to God is one of the ways we walk out of the traps that God allows the enemy to set for us. Doing what he tells you to do when he tells you to do it. This exposes our nakedness to God and family in Christ who will support you in prayer. James chapter 5 verse 16 says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Consider what would have happened if Adam and his wife had exposed themselves to God and openly confessed what they had done, rather than hiding, then casting blame. I believe the failsafe God had in place of the lamb being slain from the foundation of the earth would have been triggered for just those two in that moment, and they and the entire world would have been redeemed instantly. But as we know, that is not how the story goes. Well, I confessed my sins to the group on the prayer line, and once I did that, redemption was triggered in the spirit and our realm. I liken it to a domino effect or a ripple in the water of faith. Once I had exposed myself and the works of the enemy, another person walked on the water, came on the line, and gave a testimony. This individual shared how on their way to church with their spouse to conduct praise and worship and usher, they and their spouse got into a heated argument. When they arrived at church, they took their appointed positions. Unbeknownst to them, they were not the only couples experiencing difficulties prior to coming to worship God. As a result, during the service, the pastor having discernment interrupted the service and told everyone that God desired the husbands and wives to forgive one another, that they were not fighting each other, but the enemy. The person who gave this testimony expressed that they began to weep. When I heard this testimony, it was as though everything fell into place. Even though I knew my enemy was not my brother, pride and arrogance blinded me to this simple fact. In my quest for wisdom and to defend myself and my behavior, I became blind to sin. As I meditated on all that had happened and why it had happened, I was reminded that God is sovereign, that He is in control, that none of what any of us go through is without His approval. Yet, we do have choices, so no one can completely say the devil made me do it or God should have prevented me from doing it. We have free will and must choose whether to follow the path of life or death. What we can do is yoke ourselves to Jesus and allow him to bear our responsibilities and guide us along the straight and narrow path of life. When I remember my God's face, I realize that he was the one who allowed all of this to happen, that he had set up the argument and the trap to show me where I was going wrong. When I recognized this, I immediately began to praise and worship him. After this revelation, knowledge of God, I realized that the trap could not hold me. And with this understanding, I walked out of the trap. I was truly able to separate my feelings of hurt and offense and use the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, to defend my brother in prayer and resist the devil, forcing him to flee from our lives. The Holy Spirit 
is revealing to me in an accelerated course at HSU. That's Holy Spirit University. That existing from the authority bought and paid for by our Savior's blood is very critical to our warfare. Our offense against the usurpers of man's rulership in the heavens and our defense of the earth. People have been led to believe by indoctrination through movies, video games, fake UFO sightings, to believe our enemies will come as extraterrestrials. Nay, our enemies are already here, and they run all and the few instruments of indoctrination I mentioned. One of the devil's most cunning traps has been to deceive us of our right rulership, which has even led to the separation of the church into denominations which I shall discuss later. In part one of this blog, I covered how Hillel, Satan, Lucifer, is the Leviathan of Job 41. The Leviathan is the father of the children of pride, and there are biblical connections between that dragon and the great dragon, Hillel, Satan. By me acting in pride and arrogance as stated in the earlier testimony, I was pretending to be one of Hillel's children. I say pretending because as I am God's child born again, it is not I who live any longer but Christ who lives in me as confirmed in Galatians 2.20. Therefore, I can only pretend to be of sin. However, if I continue to pretend and refuse to repent when corrected by the Holy Spirit, I will fall into a deception and end up living in sin. As previously stated, it was through obedience and prayer that I was able to be delivered from pretending pride and arrogance. However, unless I engage the Leviathan in combat and rule over it, I will continue to strive with this affliction until I leave this world. In Job 41, God says that the Leviathan he created is so mighty that no mortal can conquer it in mortal combat. However, God provided the solution to Leviathan's defeat in Job 41, verse 10 to 11. No one is so fierce that he would dare stir him up. Who then is able to stand against me? Who has preceded me that I should pay him? Everything under heaven is mine. Job 41, verse 10 to 11. God is saying here that because he created Leviathan and made it so mighty, he, God, is the Almighty, and all His children are of His might. When we stand in the authority of His might and do not seek to battle the enemies through carnal means, but through spiritual means, we will rule over them through the heavens. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Matthew 11, verse 12. In Isaiah 27, it is confirmed that God is the one who is mighty enough to slay this dragon, Leviathan, father of all the children of pride, serpent of the deep. In that day, the Lord with his sword and great and strong sword shall punish Leviathan, the piercing serpent, even Leviathan, that crooked serpent, and he shall slay the dragon that is in the sea. Isaiah 27, verse 1. Hallel, the father of pride, the serpent of old, the devil, can only be crushed by the Spirit of God, and as believers we have him. 
Even more so, He has us. We can overcome pride by putting our faith in the Word of God, which is a terrifying sword of God to our enemies. So stop waiting for God to solve your worries when He has already done so. Jesus has given us all authority over all the works of the enemy. Luke 10 verse 19. Do you believe that? If not, ask the author and the finisher of your faith for more faith. Hebrews 12 verse 2. That means your level of faith is determined by how much God has given you, as written in the Lamb's book of life at this point in your life. Mind-boggling, right? Think about when you have read a book or watched a movie about a character and following their journey through the story. While reading the book or watching the movie, you will see that the character has doubts at moments and faith at others. As a spectator, you may be frustrated with the character, but the author of the story knows the story from beginning to end and knows when the character will begin to truly walk in their calling and have enough faith to be the person they are destined to be. Yet all along the way, the character must make choices and choose certain paths to get to that predestination or die if they choose to not go on any further or make the wrong choices until their death because they do not have any faith. Jesus said that even if your faith is as small as a mustard seed, you will still succeed. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and it becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Matthew 13, verse 31 to 32. So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief, for surely I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Matthew 17, verse 20 to 21. That is how our story goes. The man whose son was demon possessed asked the Lord for more faith. Mark 9, verse 14 to 29. If your faith is a little, ask for more faith, and do not be ashamed about it. Your faith, like a mustard seed, is supposed to grow, and just putting that little faith in the fruitful ground that is God's Word causes it to grow. It is a lie from hell's pits that you are to be ashamed of your little faith. But you receive not because you ask not, and you do not receive when you ask because your heart is wrong. James 4 verses 2 to 3. We are told to be anxious for nothing and don't have selfish desires when we ask. To be in praise and thanksgiving to God for what you are expecting. Philippians 4 verse 6 to 7. Do not seek to bribe God with prayer and fasting. That is not what prayer and fasting is for. It is to kill your flesh so that the spirit of man rules the flesh and soul. Do not think by your giving you can bribe God. That is an insult to the one who all the heavens and the earth belongs to. Give because you are a cheerful giver, not because you desire something in return or to make it known that you are such a great giver. 
for you have already obtained your reward. Matthew 6 verse 1. It is time to end the wrong way we think about God, our faith, our authority. Rise up and conquer your issues in the heavens, and so shall it be on the earth. Matthew 6 verse 10. Let me show you how awesome God is and how much He enjoys enlightening us and increasing our faith. After I thought I had completed this blog, the Lord led me to Isaiah 27 verse 1. Through a chat with a brother, we were discussing a Bible study he was a part of, and this scripture came up. I decided to check it out and started freaking out. That was the missing piece. I know. What's the big deal, right? If you read my earlier blogs, you'll recall that I mentioned I have occult practices in my heritage. In part 3 of this teaching, I go into a bit more depth about it, as well as how it has influenced my life. Those who are not spiritual are likely to dismiss any of this and believe it is all the result of poor decisions. If I had no faith in God and only saw from a carnal perspective, that would be true to me too. To be honest, as an early believer in Jesus, I believed that there was just something wrong with me. Why did I keep doing the things I did not want to do and not doing the things I should? Well, I did not realize how the enemy can manipulate our lives through genetic inheritances, much like viruses, hijacking us in order to replicate and continue to our descendants. See what Paul says in Romans 7 verse 15 to 25. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, Nothing good dwells, for to will is present with me. But how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. For the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me. The one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. As I explained in the blog, for as he thinks, if all this is based simply on the carnal decisions, why do those who become aware to the causes of fleshly afflictions confront their problems spiritually and gain wisdom to deal with them carnally achieve more permanent results than those who just tackle their issues carnally? It is because the root spiritual issues are never confronted. The carnal-minded usually end up falling right back into vices, often harder than before. As I have learned that many of my difficulties are spiritual in nature, I begun to confront them as such, then gaining wisdom on how to solve carnal issues. So as described in Job 41 and Isaiah 27 verse 1, the Leviathan is a marine dragon, apparently with multiple heads according to Psalm 74 verse 14, meaning it is what is known as a hydra. 
you broke the heads of Leviathan in pieces and gave him as food to the people inhabiting the wilderness. Psalms 74 verse 14 These scriptures led me to confront the marine spirit of my forefathers, who had ruled over my life and finances without my knowledge due to demonic contracts signed in blood. I proclaimed the very word of God, the terrible sword of God against my enemy spoken in Job 41, Isaiah 27, and Psalm 74, and my enemy has been destroyed, for God's word does not return to him void. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Isaiah 55 verse 11. God's word is true. I choose to come into full agreement with it. This confirmation of God slaying the Leviathan in my life and family line came in an unexpected way. While my child and I were driving home from school, I was learning about my child's day. My child expressed something profound. My child reported that they had seen a movie at school in which there was a body of water with seven fish swimming in it. Each of these fish was a different color of the rainbow. I know that sounds very suspect, but not the point of this story. My child was amazed by what was seen as it was identical imagery experienced in a dream. I listened intently and took this to heart since I know dreams are messages, and I told my child that. All of this happened after coming into agreement with God regarding the death of Leviathan and other marine spirits in my life. As I considered this revelation, the Holy Spirit communicated to me that my child's dream was confirmation, for out of the mouth of babes God has perfected praise. Matthew 21, verse 16. Matthew 21, verse 16 was Jesus confirming the children's prophecy that he, Jesus, was the deliverer who had come. My child explained to my wife that because the fish formed a rainbow, it showed that God's promises were being fulfilled. The rainbow may be utilized for unnatural reasons, but its real meaning, as described in Genesis 9 verse 13, is what this child declared, and my child is aware of this. Also recall as expressed earlier, the number 13 represents covenant and love, not pagan unluckiness. The number 9 represents finality. Judgment, fruitfulness, the womb, duality, good, evil, concealment of truth, etc. Read Genesis 9 verse 13 and see if it does not connect to what I have shared about 9 and 13. I was shocked by what my child said because it confirmed what I was discerning in my spirit, and I knew the battle had been won. Furthermore, given the recent spiritual breakthroughs and activities, I know this to be true. There is an open heaven above my life and family, for we will no longer allow these usurping spirits to rule over us, for they are under our spiritual feet. These principalities and powers have reigned unchecked over us due to our lack of knowledge of the warfare depicted in the scriptures, as well as our lack of awareness of our power and authority. They have deceived us into fighting carnal battles in order to rule over us, but their ultimate defeat lies in our being violent against them in the heavens. This is not God's heaven, which is the third heaven, but the second heaven, 
where the Leviathan spirit and all other evil spirits reside and can be struck down like lightning. Read the story of Daniel 10, which gives a great explanation concerning the war in the second heaven. But see here our authority as given to us by Jesus in Luke 10, verse 17 to 19. Then the seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Luke 10, verse 17 to 19. The disciples did not understand what he was saying at the time, but as they matured, it became clear that the enemy all along had never been the Pharisees, who were not truly of the Leviticus tribe and creators of the Talmud, an occult text. The tax collectors were not the enemy. Their enemy was not even the people of Rome. Their enemy were of high places where mortal feet could not tread. But since we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, we are not mere mortals. Yes, our flesh can die, but we are also made up of God's spirit. I know that there is a spiritual representation of me that rules at the right hand of the Father in Christ Jesus, just as Jesus does. I've been singing this song about being seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 2 verse 6, throughout this blog. Now consider David's prophecy in Psalms 110 verse 1, which Jesus repeats in Matthew 22 verse 44 to 46. The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Psalm 110 verse 1. Because Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God the Father, and we are spiritually seated there as well, made one with Him, this means that these usurpers and oppressor spirits are under His feet. Therefore, they are under our spiritual feet. If you have not figured it out yet, this is a big deal. That means everything going wrong in your life if you choose to operate in your authority changes today. However, you must be spiritually violent against these enemies of humanity, taking no prisoners. This requires wisdom, which only the Holy Spirit can provide. Revelation knowledge, which comes through diligence in God's Word. That the eyes of your understanding be enlightened so you can properly pray from the right hand of God in heaven, as well as pray from the earth, smashing our enemies together with the Word, which is the rock. If you struggle in prayer, or struggle in your understanding of the Bible, come and join the 15-day prayer challenge and learn. Visit this link to get more info. www.realanointedwordmovement.com Our enemies have already been defeated. Jesus crushed the head of the serpent, the devil, Hillel, Satan. However, since we have ignored this or have been distracted by battling people, or our enemies have been like the servant in Luke 12, verse 45, who oppressed the other servants and had his way with the house while his master was not around. Unfortunately, because the devil is a rebellious servant of God who has taken control of the house, those who are not functioning in their authority as true stewards of the house 
act like the evil one who has seized control of the house, rather than their master whose house it is. Just look at the church now and see how many have been demoralized with religion, its impotence and oppression at the hands of church officials. What about our homes as believers? I am suspect number one. In the third quarter of 2020, I was on the verge of separating from my wife as a so-called man of God until that same God brought me to my knees. Surrender began when I lost my job on the same day I was planning to go look for an apartment. Following that, it was a cascade of rocks falling on me until a night came when I simply wanted to die. And I truly believe I did. The man who rose the next morning from the shadow of death had learned what true surrender to God is, how to die to self daily, and had been cleansed into a vessel of honor. It was the most agonizing and glorious thing that had ever happened to me. And I have learned and still learning how to steward my house as a bride of Christ and a husband of God's kingdom to my wife. I no longer seek to steward my home from a carnal macho position, but from a spiritual one, and my wife submits to my subtle guidance, not as one inferior to me, but a woman who knows she is loved by her man in the same way Christ loves the church. It is not by our power or might that we govern successfully as men, but by the Spirit of the Lord. Any man who must prove his leadership does not have leadership. That is why I can testify and know of what I speak. Everything is wrong with the church, which is supposed to be the light of the world, especially considering what is going on in the world right now. But because Jesus appears to have delayed in his return and for good reason, for we are not ready. We as the church have behaved like Hillel and the servant in this scripture. But if that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and be drunk. Luke 12 verse 45. If you've read or heard the Remember blog, you'll remember the comparison between God ourselves and the Lion King narrative. If you've watched the movie, you'll recall that Scar, Simba's uncle, who was a representation of the devil, the roaring lion roaming to and fro, seeking whom he may devour, took Simba's kingdom by getting him exiled through deception. For years, Simba lived less than a lion, but it was only by remembering his father's face through his own that he was able to rise and oppose the usurper and retake his rightful place. In our case, we have already received our rightful place in Christ. We are simply not operating as we should be due to years of indoctrination, patterns, and habits due to what the world has told us we are. How the principalities and powers have ruled over us all, bearing the knowledge of our freedom. The thing about bearing things is that they are always discovered. So we are told this. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Romans 12, 2. As believers, we must seriously learn to recognize that the physical people coming against us 
or the enemy's activities working through them are not the true battle. This is a serious renewed mind training we must undergo. I am still in the process of this and will not quit until I have mastered spirit, soul, and body for the glory of God. Our battle is often with our own soul and flesh, which is still being influenced by spiritual enemies. The struggle is with that age-old independence we inherited through disobedience in the garden, still seeking to continue the journey on our own rather than by surrendering to God. God will allow plenty of hardships and sufferings to be thrown at us for us to come to the end of ourselves and know without a doubt that our Redeemer lives. In the moment of absolute depression, hopelessness, and despondency, what do you choose? Will you curse God to his face and go it on your own, die and be dry bones? Or will you rent your clothes, beat your chest, and cry out to him and surrender, seeking to remember his face? When we choose to surrender, God says to those of us who are willing to stand on his promises and keep the faith, Son of man, prophesy, speak my word. Then like in Ezekiel 37, verse 1 to 14, He, God, breathes fresh life into us and all the wonderful things we once buried, thought were dead and buried, or did not even know we had, come out of their graves and are a blessing to us and multitudes. If this blog has not been warning enough, here is a word of caution. And I have had to learn this lesson the hard way. To be able to operate with the authority we are expected to have, we must be of power, love, and a sound mind. As he did with Ezekiel in Ezekiel 37, he, God, constantly makes individuals prophesy so that they can exercise their authority in the heavens and on the earth. God can, as he did in the beginning when he was creating and say, let there be, and things are. But he wants us to use our authority, for we were given authority, lost it through Adam, and regained it through Jesus. However, when we are double-minded, he shuts our mouths like Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, as recorded in Luke 1. Our tongues of authority will be spiritually silenced because of doubt and double-mindedness. Since doubt and double-mindedness keeps us from being in one accord with the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit testifies with the spirit of man, Romans 8 verse 16, and has the authority to prophesy God's truths because our spirit is in harmony with God. When we doubt and or are double-minded, the flesh and or soul steal the authority of the spirit and God must spiritually silence us so that what God desires to come to pass does without the power of the human spirit behind it for that would be devastating. The power of the tongue of doubt and death would be intertwined with that of the spiritual power. Everything else we do is not through our spiritual authority, but carnal, and as we know, it does not work. Many of us in the faith have bear witness to false prophets. However, because the tongue of the soul and flesh still has so much power, we can still speak death into our situations. As many of us have experience with self-fulfilling prophecies in our lives, we're literally bringing curses on ourselves. 
in the occult they can use their power of the tongue by the soul and flesh, for they are humans who have chosen to use their inherent abilities for Hillel and others of the fallen, and can bring down curses and false blessings upon individuals. But again, as believers in Jesus the Christ, with a renewed living spirit rather than a dead spirit as an unbeliever, we are powerful in the heavens. And if we must be silenced due to doubt and double-mindedness, we will. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. James 1 verse 6 to 8. It is not until we submit, surrender to God's truths in whatever situation we are in that our mouths are spiritually open and we can prophesy with spiritual authority. Double-mindedness, lukewarmness is disgusting to God and out of His mouth, He spits out those individuals. See Revelation 3 verse 16. God is raising up people who will operate and prophesy and not allow their mouths to be silenced due to double-mindedness and doubt. To be delivered of double-mindedness, duplicity, or in extreme cases, bipolarism, you must first understand who you are, where you came from, why you are here in the first place, and most importantly, who God is. This is discussed quite a bit in the blog, Remember. Just speaking to other believers, I have come to realize they struggle with doubt because they just do not know who Jesus is. I know I have suffered the same affliction. This is one of the greatest ways the enemy has trapped many of us, and he has raised up tears in the body of Christ that have led people into false perceptions of Jesus. Therefore, people are struggling with their identities to the point of complete disorientation. Just by physiology alone, a boy should know he is a male and a girl knows she is a female. But even that simple truth has become debatable because people do not know or do not believe what the Word of God says, that we are all from God, that God created humanity as male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. Genesis 5 verse 2 Common sense has gone out of the window. Truth has been replaced with feelings. People have been running to and fro to find out who they are. You know who else goes to and fro because they are aimless and duplicitous? Yeah, you guessed it. Hellel, the devil, Satan. He has done to humanity what he himself experiences and misery loves company. Regardless, that is not your place. You do not have to be misplaced or confused of who you are, what you are, or what you should be doing. God has it all planned out, and you have a purpose here that you can use your God-given identity to fulfill. Jeremiah was a young prophet in the book of Jeremiah who was full of doubts about his life and his destiny as a prophet of God. However, in Jeremiah 29, 11, God in his great love and mercy explains to Jeremiah and the other captives in Babylon as well as to you and me in this modern-day Babylon. Listen to the letter Jeremiah wrote to the other captives he himself had to believe. For I know 
the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and hope. Jeremiah 29:11. That is really reassuring and compassionate of God to use a boy to encourage captive adults, showing them that out of the mouth of babes, he God has perfected praise, that through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Psalms 8 verse 2. That if a child can hold on, so can they. It is not my intention to fill you with guilt and condemnation because you have doubts. This is to raise awareness that doubt of God, who you are, and the authority you have in Christ is a trap. And if you do not conquer it, you will be enslaved to doubt and rendered useless in the battle against our enemy Hillel, his angels, and demons. I despise seeing others enslaved and knowing that I have the tools motivates me to seek to break your chains through sharing knowledge and encouragement. This is not because of my great heart, but because of God's, and I am a man seeking His heart. God desires that you find Him, find Him in His Word, the Bible, but also by total faith in Jesus, who is the Word who all things were made by, and without him nothing was made that was made. John 1 verse 3. That scripture includes you, especially you, since like it or not, you are in his image and likeness. See Genesis 1 verse 26 to 28. To break free of doubt, double-mindedness, and break free of wandering aimlessly, discover who God is for yourself. He himself said in Jeremiah 29, verses 12 to 13, Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me. When you search for me with all your heart, I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all places where I have driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away, captive. Maybe you are a disciple of Jesus and have found it straightforward to follow all I have said. Or perhaps you are not. Regardless of which side of the fence you stand, we have all been or remain captives of the matrix. And the only way to break free is to acknowledge who God is and the authority we have in Christ Jesus. Jesus said that his sheep knows his voice. It is not through earthly power and riches, sex, drugs, partying, social media, your marriage, family, children, sexual orientation, who you vote for, who you don't vote for, which lives you believe matter or don't, which culture is canceled or not, which denomination you belong to or religious beliefs you follow that you will be able to break free from the strongholds that bind you. You've tried and found that these things are only capable of sustaining the black hole that is your soul for so long. It hasn't worked because that isn't why you're here. Jesus is not a religious experience. Jesus is a deep, intimate relationship 
that fills that black hole until it collapses from the overpowering majesty of his immense love and light because the darkness cannot comprehend his light. Only by seeking and hearing Jesus' voice can you hear for the first time in your life, comprehend who you actually are, and begin to truly live. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. John 10, verse 27 to 30. I've come to realize that the heartbreaks I've endured had been necessary for me to properly understand what I'm testifying about. My utterances are not hollow speech, nor are they head or soul understanding of the Bible. I'm a living testimony that has been made holy and acceptable to the Lord by allowing myself to be purified through the fires of pain and suffering, surrendering all my strengths and capabilities and then being made whole by the cleansing blood of Jesus as he wiped my tears away, held together and healed my breaking heart. Even while composing this blog, a trap was prepared for me. I have been waiting on the Lord and have yet to see what I have hoped for in this realm. I have been through some emotional turmoil because of this, but I'm still smiling and choosing to trust the Lord. I've learned that my feelings and emotions are never the truth. However, the enemy being as crafty as he is, used this moment to try my commitment by using someone close to me to poke at my resolve. Well, by this poke, my resolve began to crumble. I had to completely stop writing this blog and cry out to the Lord, not in doubt, unbelief, questioning, or accusing him, but in prayer and supplication, praise, and worship. I then even went into warfare against my enemy, Hillel. Only Jesus can and has delivered me from my current reality. And like Job, I will worship him. That he is not just my present help, but my help in every future present. I needed to alter my current reality and command my soul to bless him and not be in despair, which was similar to David's cry in Psalms 103 verse 1. The magnitude of my discomfort and pain sought to blind me from the fact that Jesus pulled out of the earth the eyes of the man born blind in John 9. Therefore, he has pulled out of heaven and the earth all that I need. I must choose to believe that and choose to wash in the truth of his living water daily. And as Jesus stated to Peter, he also states to me and you, fill in your name here, Prince, Prince. Indeed, Satan has asked for you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Luke 22, verse 31 to 32. Later, in a conversation with my wife, I told her about what I've been going through and how, as a man, but a bride of Christ, I feel as if I'm in labor birthing something with the things God has me working on. I've never been in labor, so forgive me ladies for my bumbling, 
but the Holy Spirit has informed me that the level of pain and suffering I've encountered while still pushing forward signifies that I am. My wife then came in and completely filled in the gaps of my lack of experience, with her having been in labor three times, and what she said was profound. The following explanation is one of the reasons why avoiding the enemy's trap to isolate you is critical. However, if you do happen to fall into a trap, having faithful, honorable fellowship and wise counsel is essential to persistence. She shared this verse and encouragement with me. Isaiah 66 verse 9 Shall I bring to the time of birth and not cause delivery? Says the Lord. Shall I who cause delivery shut up the womb? Says your God. She encouraged me that what I am experiencing is a labor and that God has done an incredible work in me that is taking time to bear fruit, but that I should not be anxious, that I should not allow my mind to be gripped by the agony of this labor and the fear that the pain brings, that what fear does is prolongs the labor process since dilation will be slowed, narrowing the birth passage and increasing pain. When people are in pain for an extended period, they want to abort the process. Timing is everything. And one of the enemy's most clever traps is to get us to become sidetracked because the process of deliverance is too painful, long, or arduous. I know in the past I gave up on some things I was doing for the Lord and gave into vices because the birthing process was just too difficult. Now that I've matured a little, I can see the enemy's traps a little better. Our blessings are delayed due to distractions, and I have come to know that as a man, the physical babies I helped to bring into the world and the spiritual babies I birthed are not only for me, but for a multitude of others to be blessed by, and God be glorified. As a result, there can be no more procrastination. God help me. Just as a woman in labor, I must seek peace and calm and encourage this baby to come. And now I say, I will not fear. Fear breaks the mind. I face my fears with resilience, defiance, letting it wash over me, perfecting me as I abide with the patience of the saints. When I have been made complete, I declare in the face of fear with absolute certainty that my faith is the breaker of fear. My faith is rooted in Christ Jesus, in whose perfect love all fear is cast out. Amen. So, I got back to writing and narrating this blog to strengthen my brethren. I can praise God for all the accusers he has allowed to come against me because they strengthen my faith in him. I can now say that even if he chooses not to deliver me, I will not bow to the false prince of this world because I know my God is sovereign and is always doing a deep work in me, completing me even when deliverance appears to tarry. Now I can see the traps of the enemy more clearly. I understand why they are there in the first place and understand by faith in God and according to Romans 8 verse 28, he works all things out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We will stop here. 
In part three of Know the Enemy and Just Walk Out of His Traps, we will be discussing more on the traps the enemy has set casting the church into the current state of the chaos that it is in and how we need to come back together as the way. In doing so, we will be able to follow Jesus' mandate to his disciples and break captives free from captivity and strongholds. But before you go, I just want to say that I know walking out of the enemy's traps is a form of deliverance that require maturity in the ways of the Holy Spirit. Deliverance is partly a renewing of the mind, and that is what I have been led by the Holy Spirit to share in these blogs. And whatever counsel I may offer, I offer it freely. If you are new to all of this, or a veteran, or someone who has been burnt out by religion, don't give up. God has allowed you to experience all you have to know what is not of Him, and how much you need a real one-on-one with Him. I would also like to encourage you to contact Coach Ruda at Healing Hearts Coaching. There you will be provided with more information on deliverance, release from demonic activity, and soul wounds. Coach Ruda operates in a deliverance anointing and runs a ministry that helps people to break free from demonic captivity and its manifestations. For additional information, please contact Coach Ruta at Coach R-U-T-A at rawmovement.net.